0: Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning, it's The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It's time now for Why It Matters. While the Singaporean economy posted 4.8% year-on-year growth in the second quarter, the Ministry of Trade and Industry has noted that GDP was flat in the previous quarter on a seasonally adjusted basis. Now, the slowdown being seen in China, coupled with the current global climate and extent of inflation being seen, means that momentum is expected to slow up through the remainder of the year. Now, following the marked recovery in the construction industry scene in 2021, growth is expected for 2022, but at a more moderate rate of 5.7% in real terms. And not just that, according to LineSight's new data, it shows relative increases in commodity prices for the second quarter of 2022. But Indicating signs of easing for the remainder of the year. So how can the industry mitigate these challenges as they try and face that road of recovery? On the line with me this morning is Michael Murphy, Director of Linesight Singapore. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Michael, Lineside, of course, a uh, global construction consultancy firm, and you guys have released your 2022 second quarter commodities report for the Singapore market. What can you tell us about the report?
1: Yes, yeah, so the report is a document that we pull together that takes uh, numerous sources uh, across the region, across different countries to allow us to ascertain and analyze the, the market data to let us know kind of what are the trends, what's going on in the industry, what does the future look like, and, and I suppose to allow us in the business that we're in to advise our, our clients in a, a very professional
0: way on, on how to do their business in the construction industry. As far as countries uh, involved in this report, what kind of methodology are we looking at here?
1: So primarily from our perspective here in, in APAC, we're looking all across Asia region. So we look anywhere from Singapore, Malaysia, Korea, Japan, China, etc., and then across the
0: world. We obviously, as a global company, we bring it across through Europe and to the U.S. All right. Now, when we look at the Singapore markets, do did you find that, you know, any of the, the findings in particular shows a different picture compared with other parts of the region?
1: I think if you look at Singapore and when we focus on ourselves and we look at mm-hmm. what that growth is and what it looks like over the next number of years, I think to say that there's a steady growth, if you like, and what the next quarter, next year looks like, uh, it's that, as we said, at the top of the show, that 5.7 percent again. Is very positive compared to some countries. You look at some parts of Europe, and the word uh, recession is starting to uh, yeah. come up a lot. Unfortunately, right? I think yeah. uh, Singapore. When you're putting numbers like five point seven percent out there on the back of out uh, of public and private expenditure, and, and I would say that the market today is quite positive, and uh, that would show to be slightly different than some countries across the world. Yes.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially when you, you look at the headlines this morning and the UK electing Liz trust to be the new prime minister, which would happen later today, how she has to deal with the inflation picture there. It, it's just crazy. But narrowing it down, uh, Michael, to commodity prices, I mean, we know it's going to remain high for the second quarter, or in fact, it did remain high for the second quarter. Um, what are we looking at for the rest of the year and, and why did it remain high in uh, Q2?
1: So I think if we look at why it remained high initially, I think, as you said, with trust coming in, I think one of the first things she's trying to tackle is, is energy prices and energy costs, albeit mm. more for the kind of domestic markets. But in our case, if you like, it's, it's more on the how that feeds into the cost of manufacturing shipping. So if we look okay. at crude oil as a source, right, and, and we take it back to give it some context, so pre-COVID in mid-2019, the cost of a, a barrel of oil was US uh, $55, In March of 22, that reached 120, and then as recently as September 22, that's down to 86. So you can still see that we're above, we're trending above pre-COVID costs, but thankfully starting to show some positive signs, which obviously feeds into the positive outlook, specifically in Singapore. I think some of the other reasons that we're seeing the cost remaining high are those geopolitical and global influences. There's still a lag effect of the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and supply chains are not fully recovered, and again, I see uh, yesterday one of the largest natural gas pipelines into Europe. Uh, Russia has announced that they're going to maintain that close, which has caused natural gas prices in Europe to soar by twenty six percent The other factors that we 're seeing are inflationary concerns so in Singapore by the end of this year it 's predicted to be somewhere between four and five percent and look that 's quite significant when you look at a thirty year average of one point eight percent here in the country and then Final one, and, and I know your previous guest, Dr. O, spoke about uh, China and the lockdowns in China. Look, the materials that, that we ship in here into Singapore from China, one of the big ones here for construction yeah. is steel and steel rebar, And like China is the largest uh, manufacturer of steel in the world. And when you look at the cost then that we're experiencing, so to use similar kind of metrics in pre-COVID, steel was trading at uh, US uh, $460 a tonne. At its peak in October 21 it reached $900 a tonne and they were seeing it back down slightly but still at, towards the end of the year maintaining somewhere around $800 a tonne so that's why it's remaining high.
0: Wow I mean and, and this is of course a construction industry inspired conversation we're talking about these commodities and how it will remain high the labour market could also potentially be a problem?
1: I think so look I think we've seen if you wind back the clock six months a year when we talk about labour, the big concern was migrant labour and the lockdowns and border restrictions and the cost that was having on, on, I suppose, procuring local labour. And so we have seen that drop slightly. So the migrant labour cost has definitely reduced, but it's still a challenge in the local market. It's not fully open again. But interesting thing when we talk about labour, actually more of a concern is probably the staffing labour side of things in, in the built environment. So look, on the back of COVID and I suppose what's being dubbed the Great Resignation. What we're seeing is a big talent war in Singapore right now, probably not just in Singapore, to be fair. And when we look at our industry, contractors, developers, consultants are are finding it harder to uh, obtain and and retain talent. And people have been probably looking uh, outside their historical field a bit more. And and what I would know is the construction uh, is traditionally associated with long hours. And I think COVID has exasperated that a little bit more. So I think that kind of talent war has hopped its head up as a a significant challenge for the industry
0: here. Michael, we've talked about a number of problems that the construction industry has to watch out for going into the second half of the year, or the final quarter, in fact. Mm. Uh, And here comes the impossible question. How do you mitigate these issues? I I suppose maybe let's divide it into two. First, Mm. let's deal with the commodity prices and then the talent issue.
1: Sure. So I think if you look at the risks, and it's a phrase that has probably been quite prevalent over the last year, two years, is supply chain and what comes after that word, right? And supply chain diversification has been uh, quite popular in terms of uh, risk mitigation. I would also add supply chain maintenance, supply chain streamlining. So what I mean by those is looking at it from about short-term and long-term options. I think it's, personally, think it's quite difficult to pin down one solution because there are numerous mitigating factors. And these include like ports, availability and operations, freight, so shipping, air cost. Like are there tax changes in that country? Again, we touched on a labor shortage. And I think sometimes what may be overlooked is that relationship side of, of a supply chain and building that relationship because uh, we believe that that has significant benefit mm-hmm. to maintaining and kind of maintaining and building those uh, supply chains. They actually end up being somewhat more cost effective, more efficient transactions because it's clear and known requirements. And then the final one that I suppose out of a challenge comes an opportunity is uh, companies are starting to pop up with uh, various types of software and their various types of companies in their own rights to manage supply chain difficulties. Yeah. So from a logistics perspective or a material availability perspective, that I suppose has, has been a little bit of a positive coming out of it.
0: I think... Yeah, no, I was going to agree with you with regard to the tech, because I've noticed, uh, I mean, even in previous guests, they talk about how this tech uh, not only helps with the forecast, but also, as you mentioned earlier, on, that relationship building, which is so important.
1: Mm. Yeah, look, I think that's very, very important. And I think it just sometimes get overlooked, that kind of softer side of it, it's mm. like that ability to be able to talk to somebody, pick up a phone and kind of. Have that surety, yeah. if you like, in, in your supply, and, and that little bit of a guarantee, as much as you could have over the last couple of years. At least you know that you might be getting somewhere near to the top of the queue, if you like.
0: Yeah, I mean, we you mentioned early on is that war for talent, and we're going to touch mm-hmm. on this next part, right? Mitigating the talent shortage issue—is yeah. it as simple as I don't know, sort of upscaling or upskilling the jobs? slightly different in the way that the market is moving,
1: if you like, and if uh, if I bring it back to maybe the migrant labour challenge that Singapore has been having recently, and one methodology of tackling that risk, if you like, is bringing more innovation into construction and implementing items like DFMA, which stands for Design for Manufacturing and Assembly, which essentially what it does is it takes a component of construction off-site, prefabricates it in a warehouse or factory, ships it to site, and then it's installed in a more kind of plug-and-play manner, if you like, and and while that won't necessarily mitigate the commodity price challenge in isolation, what it certainly helps with the cost around the labour and installation time. So the shortage of labour in theory then is offset by the I suppose the, the minimalistic work in one sense of, of installation compared to the old traditional installation uh style. And the other thing we're seeing again if, if we talk about mitigating risk in the industry going forward is items like digitalization and AI. Mm-hmm. So like the industry is again covid what it has done is like singapore is traditionally trying to push this innovation and kind of dfma and modularization and i think covid has kind of given it a little bit more of a of a nudge shall we say and when we talk about digitalization one example of that would be something like digital twins so where a technology that allows a team to understand the functionality of a building ahead of constructing it so you understand like space utilization or occupancy behavior much more ahead of time which means you can have a more economical design you can have a much more productive construction time and less wastage during construction so again it all feeds into that mitigation of the risk primarily on the back of a labor shortage,
0: if you like. In terms of the tech-wise, where does, you know, the whole idea of 3D modeling, building information modeling, you know, when it comes to educating workers, where does that come into play in terms of mitigating these issues, visual simulations and whatnot?
1: Yeah, so as you said, BIM-BIM is a kind of a, a 3D model that you basically software that you use on your pc or tablet to allow you to visualize the building and almost do a walkthrough of the building before it's constructed so again what it allows you to do so in terms of, of workers and, and education all that it allows people to see exactly how something is going to be installed ahead of time so it's, it's not very much a first-time effort out on site it, it allows people a clearer vision as what it's going to look like it allows for much more health and safety kind of measures on site so it means that there's less wastage of material, there's, there's more a more managed process out there. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it allows for, again, a more efficient design, a more economic design. So when we talk about uh, moving forward in the industry and we talk about sustainability, we talk about these kind of things, it, it definitely allows for less wastage.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it goes a long way, especially I know some firms use QR codes to help with documentation. saves yes. a lot of time.
1: <laughs> it does. And, and what again, if you bring that back to supply chain management a little bit, those QR codes... Will allow for much more detailed tracking, for example. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to see exactly where your your component, your material is in the world. It allows to see how is it being housed, how is it being shipped, where is it in the world. So again, it probably feeds back into that technology side of of supply chain management, and, and it's definitely getting much more prevalent, even on site here in Singapore, where. I think if you go to maybe more the kind of the bigger sites, shall yeah. we say, you'll see a lot more people going around with iPads and tablets and scanning pieces of uh, material on site. And that will feed back then to the kind of site office and allows people then much more efficient tracking of materials, allows much more people, much more efficient tracking of construction progress, et cetera. So it all feeds into it. Yes. Uh,
0: Michael, just a final question. I sure. want to get your view on the recovery of the sector moving forward into uh, the final quarter of this year and into 2023.
1: Yeah, look, as we sit here today and as the report outlined, it is it's a positive outlook for the remainder of the year and the years looking forward. But I would say it's positive in the form of a, a kind of a sustained and stable construction demand for 22. And I think if we just rewind it back a little bit from 2020 to 21, like that obviously would have had a massive jump coming out of COVID. So that was about 42% which brought us up to a construction output in 21 of of circa 27 billion million, which is primarily driven off the the public sector, public side of things, I should say, in terms of public housing, infrastructure, and then from a private, uh, again, residential, which won't surprise anybody here locally in terms of that kind of uh, housing demand, uh, commercial space, industrial. But again, looking forward from... 23 to 26 again it's moderate growth that's being predicted and again from the public side of things with the MRT kind of construction mm. ongoing mm. public housing that backlog trying to sort that out and I think when you have uh, excuse me large project like Changi T5 being oh, yeah. announced, that doesn't hurt the, the kind of construction outlook either and I, I think from a, a private perspective I think again residential is, is going to be quite busy uh, industrial and, and where we're seeing industries uh, like life sciences a little bit of semiconductors. Uh, you We've know, seen it's been quite busy for the next couple
0: of years, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your comprehensive uh, insight. Michael Murphy, Director of Linesight Singapore On The Line with me. Michael, appreciate your time. Take care. Have a great day. Thank, thank you very much. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.